It's good to be with you all. Today is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it, especially when the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. <laughs> I, am, I am unapologetically rooting for the Chiefs. <laughs> I, want, I want Kansas City to win. That's just me. That's just me. Um, <laughs> that's just kind of a joke there, but I do want the Chiefs to win. Um, <laughs> but um, more than that, uh, I want Kansas City to win spiritually. <laughs> um, seriously, I, if, if you all uh, haven't, uh, are unaware, um, Kansas City, there's a, there's a ministry there that uh, is really dear to us. I think as a spiritual family, I, I think I could say. And uh, it's the International House of Prayer, Kansas City. And for the past few months, they've been going through it. Um, they've been going through it. They've been having 24-7 worship and prayer going on for, uh, they're coming up on 25 years, nonstop, since 1999. And um, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I just, I, I just felt a burden on my heart this morning, I was like, we just, can we just pray for them? <laughs> because uh, the founder has been um, accused and it's been, you know, with, it's credible that, you know, sexual abuse, uh, clergy abuse, stuff like that. Um, it, I mean, it is a messy situation and it just ranked up like a few degrees a lot this past week. And so I, I just, I, I've just been aching and my heart's been hurt um, because I mean, I mean, my, I copied the format of my notes off of the main guy, right? And so, like, he's, uh, for me personally, kind of like a spiritual father from a far away. And so I'm, I'm aching with the community there. Um, and we, we, you know, draw a lot of inspiration from what the Lord has been doing in and through them. And so I just, I just woke up this morning. I was just like, ah, let's just, can, we just, can we just say a prayer for IHOP in Kansas City? And then we'll, we'll hop into the word here. So, Father, we come before you just lifting up IHOP and what they're going through right now. And Lord, I'm asking that you would send divine help, angelic help, Lord, that you would uh, loose angels over IHOP, God, that you would uh, touch uh, the, the people there um, with your grace, your mercy, your compassion, Lord, that you would assist them and uh, you would give them dreams, Lord, and visions of your mercy and your grace, that they would trust your sovereign leadership. Um, so, Lord, we just, we're, pray, we're praying for our friends and our family at that ministry, Lord, um, recognizing that they had a global impact, Lord. And we're asking um, that you would continue to show your mercy and your grace toward them and the rest of the body of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody. Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13. And many of you all know I like to have notes when I preach and teach. And so if you would like notes, uh, you can raise your hand. You don't have to have them. I just like to have them so that you can follow along uh, with me on this. Um, I just That's just the way that I like to do it. But today, I want to take some time to develop uh, something that I think often gets undermined in our preaching, in our teaching, in the body of Christ, and that is our love for one another. Our love for one another. And this, uh, th I want to give a couple preliminary thoughts before I get into the introduction here. 
is number one, the last message that I preached, it was about how to meditate on scripture and how meditation actually not only affects our mind and our heart, but it actually affects the way that we live, right? It actually, it goes, the information goes from our head to our heart to our feet, and it affects the way that we live. And the Lord, when he was talking to Joshua before they entered the land, he said, be careful to meditate on these words, talking about the scriptures, because it'll cause you to obey the word, right? That there's, there's, a, there's a connection between our meditating on scripture and our obedience to scripture. And today what we're talking about is a command that the Lord Jesus gave to all of his disciples. And so the first thought that I want to give to you all before we dive into the scripture here, into this passage, is that if we are to obey this command that the Lord Jesus gave to us, this is not a suggestion, it's not an option, it's a commandment, right? It, it, this is something that he commanded his disciples. It's very clear from the passage. If we are to set our hearts to obey this passage, to obey this commandment, it takes meditation. It takes meditation where we can't just say, oh, yeah, Marvin, that was a good message. Uh, you know, thank you for that word. But this is more than just a, you know, hopefully a good message that inspires you and encourages your faith. This is a command. Okay? And so the way, the way that obedience comes about is actually meditating on this. But the second preliminary thought that I want to give to you all is this. And this has been my primary prayer for this passage here is that when we hear command as Western American Christians, you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> you can't tell me what to do. I don't like the word command, and I'm just going to do what I think is right and just maybe figure things out. And my, my, my prayer for us today, and this is the primary thing that I've been praying, is from Psalm 19, um, David, he's writing about the, he's, part of the psalm is about the scriptures. And he says, Lord, your commandments are, are greater treasure to me than all the gold. And he says, Lord, your precepts are sweeter than the sweetest honey. And so my prayer has been, Lord, would you release honey today? That this commandment wouldn't come off rough. That it wouldn't come off as... Oh, you know, I got to grit my teeth and do this thing. And, you know, I, you know, I'm a Western American Christian and, you know, I like, you know, my independence. You can't tell me what to do, you know, kind of stuff. But I'm saying, Lord, could we look at this commandment as honey? That this would be sweet to us. That when we look at this commandment, we would say, Lord, this, I, I want to obey this. I actually want to set my heart to love you by obeying your word. Um, so that, those are just the two preliminary thoughts that I want to give before hopping into this passage today um, uh, because I think that this is important and I'm, I'm particularly excited to uh, dive into this scripture today. So uh, if you guys are at John 13, we're in uh, verses 34 and 35. John 13, 34 and 35. And I'm just going to say another quick prayer for us just to ask the Lord just to release the honey of the word to us. So Lord, I'm asking that you would open our eyes, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, to see your word, to love your word, 
and that we would see it as honey, that we would not see it burdensome, as a, as a burden to us, but, Lord, that this would be treasure to us, that this would be honey to us. So would you touch our hearts this morning, Lord? Amen. All right, so to set the scene here, this is uh, three years of Jesus' public ministry, right? He's been going all, he's been going up and down Israel. He's been to Capernaum. He's been to Galilee. He's been to Jerusalem and all of these things. And after three years of miracle working, after three years of teaching, after three years of an incredible, incredible ministry alongside his disciples, it comes time for Jesus to go to the cross. It comes time for Jesus to lay down his life. And in those last moments of his uh, time before the cross, he has a dinner. He has a Passover dinner with his disciples. And I love that, Sheila, you uh, had that painting because I, I, think, it's, I think it's honestly, uh, you know, just the Lord speaking to us because this is really where we're drawing this, uh, what we're talking about from today. And just to kind of give you a heads up, this is part one of a, a two-part message. So <laughs> I'm going to take some time to develop this because I had so much of this. Uh, Pastor Jesse was like, hey, you know, should we make this a two-part message? I was like, yeah, we, should, we probably should do that. And so I'm going to be developing this a lot more on the 25th. But I just want to talk about this uh, particular commandment proper here. But Jesus has taken off you know, his outer garment, he's wrapped a towel around his waist, and he's stooped down, and he's washed his disciples' feet. And he says to his disciples, right, he says, do you, do you know what I've just done to you? He says, just as I've washed your feet, go and do likewise to one another. Wash one another's feet. And what he's doing here, he's actually setting up what he's about to give to his disciples, which is called the new commandment. It's called the new commandment. And I love this because um, it's so simple. It's so simple. And it's simply to love one another. But I'm going to describe to you all why it's called a new commandment and why it's new. But I want to say that I believe that this commandment will be the basis, will be the foundation for another, for, for, the for the next great move of God in not only in America, but in the earth. Because the truth of the matter is, is that we need a move of God. Especially as I've been teaching high school and I've been interacting with my students and there are some times where it's, it's frustrating and, I, and I'm, I stick with it, but I, I just come at the end of the day and I say, Lord, I can't make anything happen. We need a move of God. We need, something, we need something greater than ourselves to sweep a generation into the kingdom. And I think that this, that the Lord is going to emphasize this commandment here in this next move of God. And I believe, because I believe that the Lord is restoring love to the church. I believe that the Lord is restoring love to the church in which the world will know us the disciples and followers of Christ, not by our amazing articulation of our doctrines, not because of the amazing, you know, exploits that we do on the mission field, not because of all of the books that we produce, which I'm not against any of that stuff. We're, you know, send people to the mission field, preach good messages, have good doctrine and theology, but they will know us by our love. Not just our love to the 
poor and the, you know, the sick and the hurting and all these, but our love for one another. I believe that the Lord is restoring love to the church where our hearts are tender toward one another. We bear with one another in our weaknesses that we actually look at each other and we say, I am going to set my heart to love you. I'm going to set my heart to lay down my life for you. And when the world looks in on the church, they'll say, they follow Jesus. <laughs> they follow Jesus. So this is what we're just looking at a couple of verses here, and I want to kind of move through this first page quickly because I want to take a deep dive into the different facets of all that this commandment means for us today. So this is Jesus, right? After he has washed his disciples' feet and after he announces his betrayal, after he talks about Peter's denial, and he looks at his disciples and he says this. This is John 13, 34, and 35, and I'm reading particularly, speci specifically from the NET, the New English Translation of the Bible. He says this. He's looking at his disciples. I give you a new commandment to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Everyone will know by this that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And that's the new commandment. That's the new commandment. But I want to take some time to develop this here, so go ahead and jump with me to paragraph A, Lord and Teacher. So when Jesus is giving this new commandment to his disciples, there are many facets that we know about Jesus' identity. We know that he's the Messiah. We know that he's the son of David. We know that he's the judge whom the Father will exalt that we all have to give an account of our lives to. We know him as the high priest, the one who was the perfect sacrifice, who's, he entered the heavenly places, the most holy place in the heavenly places by his own blood, saying that I am, I, I am the perfect sacrifice. But in this particular context, Jesus is operating as Lord and teacher. In this particular context, he is operating as Lord and teacher. Look at John 13, uh, 13 through 15. And this is also in the notes, but you can look at it in, your, in the Bible. He says this. This is the same context. This is the same passage. You call me teacher and Lord. And do so correctly. Right? So he's saying to them, you disciples, you call me Lord and teacher, and you're right. <laughs> he says, that's, that's who I am. I am your Lord. I am your teacher. Right? And he says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you too ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example you should do just as I have done for you. Now, this is what that means. You see, Jesus being Lord means that he has the authority to give his followers a command. Do you know that calling Jesus your Lord is the most basic part of your Christian walk, of your Christian life? If you have a problem with Jesus being your Lord, and if you have a problem with him telling you what to do, there's some things you probably got to check. 
I'm just going to say that just clearly. You know, in Romans 10, 9 through 10, he says, it's with our mouth that we declare him as Lord, and it's with our heart that we believe he was raised from the dead. That's our salvation. It's with the confession. that It's intrinsic to our salvation to say, Jesus, you are my Lord. And when we say, Jesus, you are my Lord, that means you give up your rights. It means you give up your opinions. It means you give up you in favor of him, and you, are, you say, Lord, you can tell me what to do. That is what it means to, be, to have Jesus as our Lord. That means he has the authority to tell us what to do. You see, Jesus being teacher, this is the glorious part. So Jesus being Lord means that he can tell us, he can give us a command. But this is the glorious part, and this is the part that I really love, is that Jesus is also a teacher. And that means that he is the perfect example of how to faithfully obey this commandment. Right? That Jesus, he can say, I can give you a command because I'm your Lord, but I'm going to show you how to do it too. (laughs) He says, I'm going to show you how to do it. I'm going to show you how to love one another. And so Jesus, in, the, in these two identities, is expressing both his divinity and his humanity. Because Jesus, he, because he is the son of God, means that he can command us to do things. But Jesus does not give a command that he has not done already himself. He is the perfect example. And so Jesus is Lord and teacher. So go ahead and go down with me to paragraph B here. You see, this new commandment was exclusively given to Jesus' disciples. This was was not a commandment meant to, not, not a commandment aimed at the world. It is not a commandment aimed at angels. It's a commandment aimed at his disciples. Those who would say, Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior, this commandment is for us. Right now, one of the questions that I asked, uh, well, it's a new commandment, was exclusively given to Jesus' disciples, those who would be part of God's family through the new birth, right? So this is not those who just say that they're a part of the church, but who are actually belonging to the church because you're a part of the family of God, because you've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, right? That's what, that's what he's talking about here. Not just people who just attend church, but people who say, I have been reborn. I have experienced the new birth, and I'm a part of God's family because of it, right? So this is what he's talking about. But I, you know, <laughs> I was thinking when I was meditating on this, on this passage, you know, when Jesus is giving this, this commandment to his disciples, I said, how would he have felt? I, you know, just, just thinking, Jesus, how did you feel when you gave this commandment? Because if I was in Jesus' position, knowing my disciples Knowing that they don't really listen to anything that he says, I'm going to the cross. Jesus, who's going to be the greatest? He's like, wait, did you not just, I'm going to the cross. You want us to send fire on a village? Like, it's like, he's like, you're not, you're not, 
hearing what I'm saying to you. You know, it's like, <laughs> and, and so I'm like, I'm like, man, I would, if I was Jesus and I, if I was leading this bunch of, you know, this bunch of guys, I probably would have been very nervous. I'm giving you a commandment, and this is, you know, my last few days on the earth, you know, my last few hours on the earth. I don't have much, you know, hope that you guys are going to follow this commandment here. And that, but that's just me. That's just me. But I think that Jesus was confident. I think Jesus was confident in giving this commandment, not because he trusted in his disciples, but because he trusted the Holy Spirit. He knows that the Holy Spirit will do this in his people. He knows that the Holy Spirit is the only one that can produce this kind of love in his disciples. And so when Jesus says, I give you a new commandment, I don't think he was nervous, and I don't think he was doubtful. I think he was confident. He's saying, I know. I know you guys are a little rough right now. <laughs> but it's going to just wait. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Not because, not because you guys are awesome, but because my father is awesome. <laughs> and this is what he wants from his family. And so... The disciples' obedience to this command would have reflected something of the divine fellowship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? This new commandment was given to us through Jesus by the Father. This is a divine command, right? And Jesus, uh, he, he, is, he is speaking for the Father to us, and this is the key, our love for one another, is the key to our fellowship in the way that the Bible describes our fellowship with each other. It's the key to, the, uh, to unity in the body of Christ. And so now we're about to get into the commandment proper here. And so this is paragraph, this is paragraph C. Jesus calling this a new commandment is not saying it is a new concept to love one another, but that it is fresh in its innovation and that God never gave this commandment to Moses or another prophet. So this is actually really interesting here. The Greek word for new in this particular passage is kainos, meaning unknown, strange, remarkable, or not previously present. In other words, this commandment that Jesus is giving to his disciples, it's foreign to humanity. It's foreign to us. It's unknown to us. We, we don't know in our, fallen, in our fallen humanity, we don't know how to do this in ourselves. We don't know how to love the way that Jesus has commanded us to love in and of ourselves. And that means to obey this commandment, it causes us to be dependent upon the Lord, to say, Lord, my love right now is weak. My love, my capacity to love my fellow believer and my fellow brother and sister in Christ is small. Help me. <laughs> Help me. Right? And so uh, this new commandment, uh, is not a new concept, but it's fresh in its innovation. God never gave this to Moses, and God never gave this to another prophet. 
And this is the glorious part about this is that this is a new commandment, right? It's not a new option, and it's not a new suggestion, meaning that it is expected to be obeyed in all of its facets. That means it's dimension, direction, depth, display, discipleship, so on and so forth. And Jesus, in this moment, he's acting as a new Moses. He's acting as a new Moses. And, <laughs> and I, I, you know, I found myself asking the question as well, Lord, why would you wait three years to give them a new command? You're about to leave the earth. You're about to, you're about to leave, you know, and you've, you're giving them a new command? You know, I've learned this with being a high school teacher. You got to give everything up front, right? You can't, on the, on the way out the door, you can't say, oh, yeah, and you guys have a homework assignment, you know, due on Wednesday or whatever. You, you got to give everything up front. And especially with these disciples, they, you know, <laughs> they just, they're just rough and dull. And, I mean, that's, I mean, that's like me sometimes. I'm just, I'm just dull. You know, you just don't get things, you know, sometimes all, just immediately. And I, I just found myself thinking, Lord, why would you give a new commandment right before you're about to leave? Right before you're about to go to the cross, of course, you're going to be resurrected and teach them about the kingdom of God for about 40 days. But that's nothing in comparison to the three years that your disciples spent with you. And I believe that he would give this to them right before he's about to leave, because they would know exactly what he meant. That they, it, there was no guesswork. There was no guessing in what Jesus, did, is, he, is he trying to say this? He, they would know, because they've been watching him carefully for the past three years. That's what a disciple is. It's a trainee. It's a pupil. It's someone who watches their teacher and says, I want to imitate their lifestyle. And so spending three years with Jesus, if this, this, wouldn't have been, this wouldn't have been something for them to say like, oh, I, I don't really know how to do this. They've been watching him all along. And so Jesus, the ultimate display of this commandment is not only in him taking off his outer garment and washing his disciples' feet, but the ultimate display of this commandment is the cross, is the cross. And I'm going to explain that in a moment here. But ultimately, our obedience to this commandment is our proof of our love for God and our, and, and our love for Jesus. That when we, when we love one another, it's actually evidence that salvation, that that our hearts have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and that we have passed out of death into life. That our love for each other is, uh, is, is, the, is what the whole new covenant is about, actually. It's part of what it's about. And because with this new covenant, it comes with the new birth, a new creation, new community, the church, and a new commandment. So go ahead and turn the page there. And I want to I talk to you all about why this commandment is new. And I'm just going to say that command one more time before we dive into this right here. And I don't want to spend too long on it, but I just want to take some time to develop this. 
This is John 13, 34. He says, I give you a new commandment to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And so there's five facets to why this particular commandment is new. Right? It's not a new concept, but it's fresh in its innovation. It's fresh in the way that, uh, in the way that Jesus is explaining it. It's, it's new in its dimension. It's new in its direction. It's new in its depth. It's new in its display. And it's new in its discipleship, the means that we teach people on what life in Jesus is actually about. So number one. Dimension. The new commandment Jesus gave his disciples is a higher dimension. It's a higher standard of love not previously disclosed in Torah. You see, the royal law, and this is what the New Testament authors would call the royal law, is to love your neighbor as yourself. But that's no longer the standard. That's no longer the standard in the new covenant. The standard now is the new commandment, and that's to love one another just as Jesus has loved us. It's a, Jesus, he raises the degree of love his disciples are to live with, which is only possible through abiding in him. So look at uh, John 15 with me super quick here. This is John 15, 9 through 10, 9 and 10. He says this, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in his love. And so there's this idea of abiding in the love of Jesus, knowing his love for us. Uh, opening our heart for the Holy Spirit to pour the love of God in our hearts, abiding in that love actually empowers us to love one another. It's abiding in the love of God, it's abiding in the love of Christ that actually empowers us to love one another. It's a higher standard. And like I said before, it is impossible to love as we have been commanded through our flesh. We cannot love one another the way that Jesus desires and has commanded us to love one another in and of ourselves. Our flesh cannot produce this kind of love. Our flesh cannot enter the divine love that Jesus is commanding of us here. It's supernatural love, and it only comes from God. And check this out here, and uh, I, well, I have it a little bit further down, and so we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. But Jesus, he commands us to love just as he has loved us. But it's not only new in its dimension or in its standard, but it's also new in its direction, right? Jesus, at, uh, in Acts 2, that was the birth of the church, right? It's the birth of this new community in God that is experiencing the love of God and that is loving one another. And so the specific, uh, this is paragraph B under Roman numeral two, the specific parameters of the new commandment 
and this is this is this is it right here. It requires born again believers to love other born again believers. Born again believers loving other born again believers. That's the specificity of this particular commandment. Right? You may say, oh, well, that person over there, I don't, they kind of rub, they rub me the wrong way. I don't really like them. Are they your brother and sister in Christ? <laughs> what does the new commandment say? We got to love them. Right? And I'll, I'll, get to a, I'll get to a really big point here. But the, in the Greek, what it's talking about is people of the same body. People of the same community. People of the same fold. People of the same, uh, a part of the same body. And previously, according to the royal law, we were to treat our neighbor, which is everyone, with dignity and respect. And that's, that's still relevant, right? We still care for the poor. We still care for the sick. But I like to say it this way. Our first responsibility of love. Our first responsibility of love is to one another. Where we make sure that we are loving other born-again believers the way that we are called to in this particular commandment. Right? Loving God's children. And this is especially relevant in an election year. In an election season. Mm. I don't have to spend much time on that, do I? <laughs> Especially in election year, you got Democrats, Republicans, and, you know, you got all people, you know, lobbing things, you know, to the other side, and then the other side lobbing things to the other side. Are they a part of the body of Christ? Are they a born-again believer? They may rub you the wrong way, sure, but that doesn't negate the command that the Lord gave us. Just because somebody has offended you, just because somebody rubs you the wrong way, just because you may not like how somebody breathes, <laughs> and just the way that they blow their nose, I just, ugh, I just, just rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> Doesn't negate the new commandment. <laughs> We're still called to love. We're still called to love. We're still called to love. So the direction, other born-again believers, loving other born-again believers. Yes, we still care for the poor. Yes, we still care for the sick. Yes, we still care for the ostracized. But we, our first responsibility of love, the direction is to one another. It's to one another. But this is also, this is paragraph C here, a, there's a new depth of love that we're called to. Right? Jesus says, just as I have loved you. Right? The new commandment requires that we love one another proportionately to Christ's love for us. Having warm regard for another believer more than one's own life. This kind of love is not based upon feelings. I feel good. So I'm going to love good. 
This kind of love is not based on our emotions. It's not based upon our feelings, though those are uh, major driving factors, but based on the Spirit's power in our willingness to follow Jesus' example to serve another believer more than ourselves. This depth of love is discovered and imparted the closer we walk with the Lord Jesus. You see, it's more than feelings, but feelings, what I've discovered about the human, our humanity, is that feelings are a major driving force in a lot of the things that we do. So even though this kind of love is not based on feelings, we can ask the Holy Spirit to transform the way that we feel. Right, because the truth of the matter is that you will, even though, even though this, is, this commandment is not based on feelings, when you feel a particular way to somebody, you will be more apt to treat them that particular way. Right, so even if you may be angry at somebody, it's like, okay, I, I know that this is a command, I'm still going to serve them, I'm still going to love them, but I still don't feel it. But when you feel it, when the Lord transforms the way that you feel about another believer, when he transforms the way that you feel about people, and the Holy Spirit can do it. He can do it. He can transform. You may not like somebody and feel good about somebody right now, but the Holy Spirit can transform your emotions. And when, you, when he transforms our emotions, we will see the person the way that God sees them. We will feel about that person the way that God feels about them. This is not just about tolerating people and just treating people nice. This is about delighting in one another. This is about enjoying one another. This is about entering into a higher fellowship, right? This is, and this is what the world cannot produce this, right? It, it has to be God. It has to be the person and the work of the Holy Spirit to produce this kind of love, not only for God, but for each other. It's a whole new depth. And I love to say to my students that if you follow Jesus long enough, genuinely enough, close enough, he will always call you into deeper love. He will. He will always call you into deeper love, deeper, more sacrificial love. Will you, will you, will you come with me just a little bit deeper into love? Will you come with me a little bit deeper into sacrificial love? Now, I'm almost done here. And like I said, I just want to take some time to develop this and then in part two, a couple weeks from now, I'm going to land on just a little bit more on the practicals. Uh, I'll end with a practical today, but, but uh, I wanted just to develop why this is called the new commandment here. So it's not only new in its dimension, in the standard of love. It's not only fresh and new in its parameters or in its direction, which is our first responsibility to, to one another, other born-again believers. It's not only new in our depth, feeling about each other the way that God feels about us, but also in its display. This is glorious. Because immediately, this is paragraph D, immediately after reiterating the new commandment, Jesus said, no one has greater love than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. And this is a phrase I've been repeating a lot, and I love it. One side of picking up our cross is to lose our lives for Jesus and the gospel. 
But the other side of picking up our cross is to lose our lives for one another's sake. One side of the cross, of picking up our cross, right? Jesus says, if you were to come after me, you have to pick up your cross and die daily. One side of that cross is to lose our lives for Jesus' sake and the gospel's sake. The other side of that cross is to lose our lives for one another's sake. To lay down our lives for one another. And I, when, I, when I think about this, you know, Jesus, he was challenged in Luke 10. Because the guy, you know, the, the religious, the expert in the religious, uh, the, the expert in religious law, he comes and he challenges Jesus. And he says, who is my neighbor? Who, who, who is my neighbor? Because he was trying to justify himself. Right? He was trying to find a way out. He was trying to excuse himself from actually following the command to love neighbor as yourself. And Jesus gives him the parable of the good Samaritan. And he says, well, who's your neighbor now? Right? And he's saying, he's saying the one who showed the man mercy. And, but Jesus, in this commandment, he's raising the standard. He's saying, he's saying don't, just, don't just care for them. Lay your life down for one another. Right, And a lot of us, I think, oftentimes, like the religious leader, will try and justify ourselves and say, but, 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 this person, but, 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 and, and we're trying to find a way out. We're trying to find a way out of love. We're trying to find a way out to excuse ourselves from actually fulfilling the command that Jesus gave to us. But let me tell you something. Love does not try to find a way out. It tries to find a way in. And that means even when you're crucified, you say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's love. Love isn't, let me try and find a way out, but, 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 but this person, but, 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 it's God, forgive them. This hurts right now. It really hurts. But I see that you love them. I see that they are a part of your family. And they may be slandering me. They may be angry at me. They may be crucifying me in the public eye. But Father, forgive them. That's love. <laughs> That's the kind of love that Jesus is calling to us for one another. Not just when the world says bad things about us. Jesus says, expect that. Expect the world to hate you. Expect the world to crucify you. Expect the world to persecute you. But when it comes to your love for one another, don't do that. Don't do that. He says, lay your life down, even when it hurts. And so the way that I want to end this today is this. Paragraph E. Ultimately, obeying the new commandment is the distinguishing mark of a true disciple of Christ. The world has known Christians for many, for many things. The Crusades, the Reformation, charismatic renewal, etc. But the, in the coming days, the world will know the end time church by its sacrificial love. The world will know the end time church by the sacrificial love. 
they did not love their lives even unto death. And so my, I have two questions. Is can we, as the church, faithfully say that the world has known us for our love for one another? Right? Because this is what, this is what Jesus says in verse 35. Everyone will know by this that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Can we as the church faithfully say that this is how the world has recognized that we are followers of Jesus? But like I said at the beginning, I believe that the next move of God will be marked by radical love for one another. And my second question is this. Can we as the church faithfully say that we have discipled people to love others, to love other believers? Can we say that when we have our discipleship meetings or we, you know, take people under our wing or whatever, can we say that this was a prominent teaching that we have taught people to do? Because missions are going to increase, right? The, Jesus prophesied and he said that, the, that, the, that the, the, the nations, every nation will hear the gospel. So missions are not slowing down. They're only going to increase but has this been, and when Jesus commissioned his disciples to go, he said, go and teach them to obey my commandments. Has this been a primary commandment that we have not only taught but displayed to people? And so, Jesus, he set the ultimate example for us by washing his disciples' feet and going to the cross on their behalf. And my question to you this morning is, what does it look like for you to love? In your specific contexts, with the specific people that are around you, what does it look like for you to love? And I'm going to touch on this in part two a couple weeks from now. It's okay to say, my capacity is small. It's okay to say, my capacity to love other believers specifically is small. But the glorious part is that Paul says that the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We can ask the Lord. We can ask him, Lord, would you give me more love? Would you increase my capacity to love? Would you help me love the way that you've commanded me to love? Right? Yes, we still care for the poor and the people outside of the body of Christ. But this command is specifically for how we love one another. So I'm going to invite you all to stand and we'll respond here. And you all know what it looks like for you to love. And maybe the Lord will reveal it even now as we respond. Maybe he will, you know put somebody on your heart that maybe has done you wrong or maybe rubs you the wrong way or you know specifically another believer that you know you may have some tension with or some beef with or whatever and we just want to ask the Lord Lord would you give us would you give us your love for that specific person so Lord we come before you 
we say thank you for this command. Lord, I'm asking that this would be treasure to us, that this would be honey to us, that this would not be burdensome to us, but Lord, that we would love, that we would love the way that you've called us to love. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking just even now, Holy Spirit, I'm asking even now, would you put another believer on our minds and our hearts, either that we need to forgive or reconcile with or lay down our lives for in our specific context, the way that we can serve, the way that we can wash one another's feet? I'm just asking, Lord, would you just, would you just give us somebody even now, Lord, even now? Let's just take a moment and just let the Holy Spirit do what he does. Would you help us, Lord?